Hey, good morning. Hey, come on, we can do better than that. Good morning. Hey, I just want to take a moment as we get started and just uh, thank Pastor Mucci and the elders for the privilege to preach God's word to our church family this morning. So I'm thankful for this moment. So I want to pray and then we'll, as our pastor likes to say, get to work. All right, so let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word and our heart's desire today is that we would all see Jesus and that we would all be changed by your word and that your word would give us life, would give us courage, and would help us to live the lives that you have created us and given us for this moment and this time here in, in Miami and beyond. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So it was January 2020. My wife and I were just relocating to South Florida. For me, it was an opportunity to come home after a 34-year gap. Born and raised right here in the 305. And my wife, born in Philly, grew up just up the road in Fort Lauderdale. But the Lord was the one that was sending us back to South Florida, and we were excited, and we were coming. I had the privilege to serve for the SEND Network, and the SEND Network is a team at the North American Mission Board that comes along church side churches to help churches plant churches and come alongside church planners to help them as they plant churches. Prior to the brook, I knew Pastor Mucci in Atlanta and even knew as God was calling him to Miami. But by the time March 2020 rolled around, we all realized that 2020 was not going to be a normal year. We had the pandemic pressing on us, and most of us, or at least I thought, you know, in a couple weeks we'll be all right and we'll just go back to normal. But in the midst of that, we had hurt and pain. We had frustration. We had disappointments. Just felt like things were very weighty. And it was during that time that as March came around that my wife and I found us in the middle of trying to come to South Florida and not having a place to live. So I had already been here three months and my wife was joining me from our home in downtown Atlanta. And during that time, we all got the orders to shelter in place. So that meant that my poor brother-in-law and his family got stuck with another family in their home. It was a huge blessing for us, maybe not so much for them. And it was during that time when you had two families under one roof sharing what seemed like one bathroom that my wife spoke to me one day and she said, you know, I think in this moment, the one thing that the Lord is speaking to you and I about is to control the things we can control. Which at that moment, I thought, well, I can't control anything. We just moved to Miami. We don't got any place to live. And I thought I knew what was next. I think that there were people that were expecting me to do what was next. 
And only like your wife can, she said, I think there's three things right now the Lord wants us to do. One is to stay close to Jesus, to eat healthy, and to work out. Now, I was excited about the staying close to Jesus. I wasn't too sure about the eating healthy and working out. When you look at the Gospel of Mark, I feel like the Gospel of Mark was written for Miami. I feel like the Gospel of Mark was written for this cultural moment that we all find ourselves trying to push through as we cling and believe that Jesus is all that we need. I like what Pastor Mark Copeland in his executable outline says about the Gospel of Mark. He says, one of the things that always draws me back to the Gospel of Mark is the concise, fast-paced nature of Mark's Gospel. It is said the gospel could be read in an hour and a half. So let me give you a homework assignment. Go home today, take an hour and a half. No, no, you're not gonna do that. For me, I love reading Mark's gospel because it does a couple things to me. One, it wears me out. When I read Mark's gospel, I don't know where the timing cues are. There are a few times it says it was night or morning, but most of the time it doesn't say it was Monday and then a week later. It just seems like it's boom, 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 boom. Thing after thing, event after event. I feel like the gospel almost sounds exactly like life here in Miami. Fast pace, going hard, late into the evening, no margins, big expectations on everybody's shoulders, faster, faster, Dale, dale, bravido. So can I ask you a question this morning? Do you ever feel like you're caught up in catching up? And trying to get somewhere fast? You don't have to answer that. I see it all the time on the highway. Maybe even wondering if what you're doing is the right thing. Or maybe it's a good thing, but not the best thing. Is it even what God has called you or me to do? Or are we just doing stuff? So what I want to do this morning is I want to do a couple of things. I want to look at a text from Mark's gospel with you. Then I want to surround it with the tech context of what's going on in God, Mark's gospel. And then I want to draw out three observations about Jesus's life that I really believe can apply to our life. So I want to look at the text with you. Then I want to look at the context around the text. And then I want to look at three things that Jesus was doing that I think can apply to our life. Are y'all ready? Then let's go. Everybody say, let's go. All right, so here we go. Mark chapter one, verse 35. In the early morning, everybody say too early. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. 
and he said and he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee preaching and casting out demons let's look at the context around this Mark's gospel starts off very quickly in verse 1 and it basically says this in verse 1 the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the son of God Mark doesn't waste any time. He doesn't wait till the fifth chapter, the seventh chapter. He doesn't wait to build it up. He doesn't wait any time to tell you Jesus is God. He's God. He's not somebody. He's not a good teacher. He's not just somebody that, you know, looks cool. He is God. As a matter of fact, Mark's gospel is one of the first gospels we get. It's one of the shortest gospels, 16 chapters. Most of the gospels are right around 28, 22, 24, 28. You know, you check the length right there. And I think by the time John writes his gospel, I wonder if he's looking at Mark's gospel and thinking, you know what, if you're going to start off the first by saying that Jesus is God, why not start off by saying this? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verses 2 through 8, we see the ministry of John the baptizer. And by the way, man, I just want to encourage you this morning. I think you could pick tons of people in the Bible to be like, but man... I think we should try to be more like John the baptizer. Man, a guy in the middle of nowhere just telling people Jesus is the Messiah. Verses 9 through 13, we see Jesus' baptism by John. And then automatically, we see this incredible picture. Jesus being baptized, which he didn't need to be baptized. He has no sins. He doesn't need to be forgiven of sins. Or, or, but he's going through this because he's validating John's ministry and yet on the other side of it, it says that the Spirit leads him into the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days. Very interesting. Something that seems so glorious and something that seems so bad. And by the way, God has called you and I to live both for the glory of him with Jesus in our lives and broken world. And then it goes on to show that in verses 14 through 15, Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, and notice what the gospel is, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Verses 16 through 20, we see the selecting of the four fishermen, the first of the, four, of the disciples that are called out. They leave everything and follow Jesus. And then notice what we see. Jesus goes to Capernaum, where he taught in the synagogues and cast out unclean spirits. So he's teaching, he's casting out devils. And then in verse 29 through 34, he goes to Simon Peter and Andrew's house. And there, Simon Peter's mother-in-law has a bad migraine. As a matter of fact, this thing must really be bad because Jesus heals her. I mean, she's not going to Tylenol. I mean, Jesus is healing her. He's, he's bringing her back to health. And after that, because... Everybody knew what was going on in the neighborhood. People start gathering around the house and they're trying to get on the inside because Jesus is there. Miracles are happening and they want some of that too. And all of a sudden, there's this amazing thing breaking out right there at Simon and Andrew's house. And in the midst of all that comes our text, 35 through 39. So let's look at these three things I think we can learn from this text this morning that should encourage us that we see Jesus doing and I think Jesus wants you and I to do. The first is this in verse 35. In the midst of the chaos of life, fight for time to pray. In the midst of the chaos of life, fight for time to pray. Everybody say, I'm going to fight. 
No, come on, let's say it. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for my time. I'm going to fight for my time to pray. I can hear MC Hammer say, we got to pray just to make it today. I mean, we laugh at that, you know. I'm not going to do the dance. I had the pants back in the day. My wife threw them away, but, you know. Remember, we got married, and I went, we were going on a date after we got married, and I said, hey, I can't find those pants. He said, yeah, you didn't look that good in them. <laughs> they were gone, you know. Jesus models something incredible. In Mark's gospel, he clearly lines out that Jesus is the suffering servant, but the next thing he lines out is he is as much God as he is man. And let's be honest. If anything, the God part of Jesus is always praying, and we go, well, that's Jesus, that's not me. But don't forget it's the man part of Jesus that is praying too, and that's you and I. And by the way, if that prayer meeting and that healing service went all night long, don't you think Jesus was tired the next morning? You know, hit the snooze, hit the snooze, hit the snooze. But it says that early in the morning, Jesus got up. I think there's a couple things that pop out just even from this verse that I want to encourage you to underline and mark. First and foremost is early morning. First things first. Jesus, early in the morning, made the first thing, the first thing, to go and to pray. The first thing, the first thing, the first thing. Now listen, you can say here, Tim, don't put any guilt on me because I'm not an early morning person. I'm going to do my prayer in the mid-morning or the afternoon or the evening. But here's what I, know, I think. If it's not early morning, it's not the first thing. And if prayer is not the first thing, it will be the last thing. It'll be the last thing we'll do every day. As a matter of fact, I'm a little concerned today, if I could have just a moment, that we're more concerned telling other people our problems instead of taking our problems to Jesus. So there's no guilt or condemnation here. There's encouragement and affirmation. We see Jesus get up early in the morning, early in the morning and pray. I love what the great pastor Charles Spurgeon said, the pastor in England in the early 1800s, he said, look no man in the face till thou hast seen the face of God. Speak with none till thou hast speech with the most high. Man, that is so convicting. What would my life look like before I ever spoke to anybody in the world I had been with God? But the next thing we see in verse 35 is that only Jesus got up early and made it the first thing, but he went to a secluded place. I love Jesus modeling his desire to get away and to focus. Can I just give you a freebie here this morning? This is an aha moment. You're probably going to say, duh, but man, let me just throw it out there. When you get up and go to a place to pray, turn your cell phone off. I think sometimes the biggest interrupter from my prayer life and my time in the Word is my cell phone. Like, I'm tethered to it. Like, I, I got to check who's texting me or what's happening on social media or what's so important that I'm going to miss out instead of realizing what's so important that I wouldn't want to miss out with Jesus. Here again, the Pastor Charles Spurgeon says this, about Jesus going to a secluded place. He says, secret prayer 
is the secret of prayer. The soul of prayer, the seal of prayer, the strength of prayer. If you do not pray alone, you do not pray at all. I care not whether you pray in the street or if you pray in church or if you or in the barrack room or in the cathedral, but your heart must speak with God in secret or you have not prayed. I love this verse because it shows that Jesus had a priority for prayer. He made sure that he was undistracted or not distracted. But then the second thing is he actually got to business. He prayed. He prayed. Don't take that for granted. Don't take that for granted that God, Jesus, in the flesh, said, in order to do what God's called me to do, I need to pray. A pastor by the name of David Guzik in his commentary says, Jesus did not just did not need to pray because he was weak, but because he was strong. And the source of his strength was his relationship with God, his Father. Jesus knew the pressure and busyness should not drive us towards prayer, drive us towards prayer, not from prayer. Let me read that again. Jesus did not need to pray because he was weak, but because he was strong. And the source of his strength was his relationship with God, his Father. Jesus knew that the pressure and and busyness should not drive us towards prayer. Excuse me, should drive us towards prayer, excuse me, but not from prayer. Can we all be honest? Can we all be honest this morning? When we get busy, sometimes the last thing we're doing is praying. Because everything's going on. It's chaos, it's pressure, it's struggles. There's so much on our shoulders. And Jesus here is just modeling and influencing that his strength came from being with his father. His strength came from spending time in prayer. Listen, if you're broken and you're hurting, Jesus wants you to come to him in prayer. There's not like you can only come to prayer like this or you can only come to prayer like this or you gotta have a certain thing like this. But sometimes we don't realize that Man, sometimes the beauty of going to prayer is just the strength and that you're strong enough to admit that you need to pray. I can hear the old hymn in these words. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear. The Son of God discloses and he walks with me And he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joys we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Psalm 17, 6 puts it this way. I I call to you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. One of my favorites, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things. You do not know. And then the one that, you know, if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you know this one, and I don't like it sometimes, but First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. <laughs> Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I love that Jesus, early in the morning, 
went to a secluded place and modeled influences and I think still calls you and I this every day to spend time with him. In the midst of the chaos, we have to fight for our time to pray. But also we need to see there's always going to be people, important people, people you love looking for you. Notice what verse 36 says. So Simon and the companions, his companions searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Underline that if you dare. Underline that if you dare. How many people are looking for you? How many of you get texts? How many of you get phone calls? How many get emails? What, what is even the protocol anymore? Because somebody will call you and you're with somebody else and so it goes to voicemail and like a second later you get a text from that person and what's it say? Where are you? Like you're trying to talk to somebody and show them value and, and what somebody else, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get you. Trying to find out what you're up to. I think this verse is so important because it reminds us there's always going to be people looking for you. There's always going to be people that always have an agenda for you. There, and that agenda may be good. I'm not putting it down. I'm not saying that. But there's, is it is the God thing or is it the them thing? I, I think about Peter in this moment, a.k.a. Simon. And, and I wonder if maybe in this moment, Simon's vision of Jesus and what Jesus had come to do was way too small because he had been healing people super important he'd been casting out demons incredible but jesus came to pay the price of sin and to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins and to raise from the grave and offer us eternal life and that's the focus of his ministry could i take a moment here and just speak to you and i for a moment as a guy that's pastored. Now I wonder if sometimes we, much like Simon, put too much on our pastor, expecting our pastor to do certain things that maybe he is not called to do and maybe the Lord's calling you and I to do with our pastor. Or maybe if we're honest, maybe even calling you and I to do. There's always going to be people looking for you. Maybe Simon and the others wanted a healing ministry and a demon casting out ministry when Jesus, by spending time with his father and in prayer and gaining strength, knew that God had called him to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And it's kind of interesting because when you put this in contrast, which don't lose sight of this, Jesus is praying, the disciples want him to do something. But later in Mark chapter 9, the disciples show up and say, hey, Jesus, we were trying to do this and we couldn't do it. And this is what Jesus says to him in Mark 9, 28. He says, when he had come into the house, his disciples began asking him privately, why is it that we could not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything except for what? Prayer. Prayer. The most important thing that you and I can do outside of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ 
is spending time with them in prayer. It's, it's the thing. It's the, the thing. And by the way, I think it's like a buffet. I know we don't probably go to, we're probably never going back to a buffet, you know, in the days of the pandemic. I'm kind of tempted. I, I, you know, I might like a buffet, you know. Any kind of buffet, to be honest. <laughs> and here's the thing about the buffet. When the buffet's good, you know you're going two, maybe three. You know, if they get your dishes real quick and no one's looking, you might be going four. Because it's good. And if prayer is such a sweet time of fellowship with the one who created us and made us and loves us so much, why not get as much as you can? When I was a kid growing up in Miami, there was a thing called 7-Eleven. I'm talking about like the real 7-Eleven, not like today. There's 7-Elevens everywhere. There was a 7-Eleven right there in South Miami. And it was a big deal. Man, we would... You don't know about this, but back in the day, you could buy a Coke, and when you finish drinking, you could take it back, and they give you a dime. And then you take three or four bottles back, and you could go get another Coke. So you could drink Coke all day. But then all of a sudden, 7-Eleven showed up, and they had this thing called the Hog. And it was this plastic cup, and you paid, I think it was like 49 cents, and you could put it up against this thing, and it would fill it to the brim, and you could drink it, and you could come back 10 minutes later and fill it up again. And you could keep coming all day till your stomach was just like hurting from drinking so much soda. And I just wonder, man, like spending time with Jesus, so much sweeter, so much better. Like I need it, you need it, we need it. So I love that the scripture talks about there's always going to be people looking for him, but Jesus was praying. A great guy by the name of Charles Hummel wrote an incredible article called The Tyranny of the Urgence. And in referencing actually the scripture, he said he prayerfully waited for his father's instructions. Jesus had no divinely drawn blueprint or schedule. He discerned the father's will day by day in a life of prayer. Because of this, he was able to resist the urgent demands of others to do what was really important for the mission. Could it be that you and I sometimes drift off of the great call that God has on our life and the gifts that he's given us to use because we've not spent enough time in prayer? See, in the midst of the chaos of life, fight for the time to pray. There's always going to be people, important people, people you love looking for you. But this is where we conclude. Stay dialed in to the Father's assignment for you. Stay dialed in to the Father's assignment for you. Notice what it says in verse 38 through 39. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Underline that, what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. The word translated preach here is from the Greek caruso, and it means to proclaim like a herald. Our translation said, let us go somewhere else. But the New Testament word is to come out. Jesus is coming out of his life, his family, and obscurity to proclaim God's good news of salvation. The people want physical healing and freedom from demons. 
but it is, it is time for Jesus to spread the good news to the rest of Galilee. Luke and his gospel would put it this way in chapter 19 and verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Mark ends his gospel in chapter 16 and verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The New Testament word for preach here in Mark chapter 16 and 15 is the same as 138. It means to go public, to proclaim the gospel. What if Jesus would have only settled on healing and casting out demons and not gone to the cross for your sins and my sins? What if we only know Jesus as a good healer or only know Jesus as a good teacher instead of having the gospels and this word of God teach us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God loved us so much that he saw that we were broken. In the beginning he created us and everything was perfect and sin entered in and, and then we lied and then we cheated and and we were separated from God. And then the rest of this Old Testament story shows how God wants to interweave back into a family. And then in the New Testament, we have God putting on flesh to dwell among us and show us how much that he loves us. Living a perfect life that is sinless. And then not just living it, but paying the price of sin. For the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And then on a bad Thursday... For Jesus, but a great, I mean, a bad Friday for Jesus, but a great Friday for us. Jesus carries a cross up a hill and becomes the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and dies for your sin and for mine. But the good news is that three days later, he, he rose from the dead. As a matter of fact, I, I kind of wonder why, why every Sunday can't be Easter. Like, why can't we have that excitement? You know, without Easter, there, there's no Christmas. Without Christmas, there's no Easter. I grew up here in Miami, didn't have a real religious background, but we did the Catholic Episcopalian thing. And the only thing I knew was we went at Easter, and on Easter they sang this one song, and it sure seemed like they sang it loud. Up from the grave he arose. That's why you're glad I'm not worshiping today, Lean Worship. But man, they yelled that out. They believed it. We need to believe it. That Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, if we will invite him to come into our lives and to forgive us of our sins, the Bible says that we confess with, our, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we will be saved. And then it's not just like that we're saved and we're done. It's like he is making us more like him every day. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, man, I would sure love to have the opportunity to have a conversation with you or invite you to follow Jesus. Because I believe that's one of the most important things. Because without Jesus, you're dead. In Jesus, you're alive. And I'm thankful that Jesus modeled for us that in the midst of the chaos, he fought for time to pray to make sure he stayed on the mission. I'm glad when other people were looking for him, he wasn't worried. He was focused on what he was supposed to be doing. And then I'm glad 
that he stayed dialed in on the Father's assignment. Can I ask you a couple questions this morning? What is God's assignment for you? What is God's assignment for you? Because each and every one of us in this room have an assignment from God. If you have Jesus as your Lord, Master, and Savior, and you're in a relationship with him, then you have gifts and talents that God wants to use for his glory. But if you're not careful, you'll spend your time doing so many things that you'll never do the thing or maybe some of the things that God's called you to do because you won't get up early in the morning. The second question I want to ask you is what's the next step to do? What next steps do you need to take to stay focused on your assignment from God? What do you need to turn off? What do you need to leave behind? What do you need to get away from? I love Psalm 113.3. It says, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord will be praised. I believe the Lord has been praised here through our worship, and hopefully he's been praised through the preaching of his word. If you're here today and don't have a relationship with Christ, man, we'd love to help you in that relationship with Christ. If you're here and you're following Christ and you're just saying, man, that's not where I'm at, Tim, and I want to be where God wants me to be, and I know our pastor, Muchi, or our elders would love to help you take next steps in growing stronger and closer to Jesus. And be obedient to Jesus today. Take those next steps. Not because everybody else wants you to, but because you're surrendered and in love with Jesus.